Kyle, thanks so much for joining Speaking of Making Healthcare Work for You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta, and today we welcome Kyle Kaiser, who is the CEO of RX Review. Thanks so much for being here, Kyle. Glad to be here. It's a pretty cool story about how RX Review started. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, absolutely. So Kevin O'Brien's our founding physician. He's a doctor in Denver, Colorado still, which is where the company's based. And, um, you know, really this started by him wanting to help his mom. Uh, he, you know, was approached by his mom who had a something 900 or so dollar monthly spend. Being a good son, a good clinician, he wanted to review her medications and figure out how to make an impact on her uh, pocketbook. And uh, ended up sort of, you know, taking the branded med and breaking it into its generic parts and looking at opportunities to swap to lower cost alternatives that were clinically equivalent. And that kind of inspired him to start doing this across the board for folks that were walking into his practice. So he started to manage, manage this massive database of, of ways to save on your medications. And that was really the initial inspiration for the, for the company. Uh, we've, we've taken that and translated it into something that influences workloads and influences doctors. But I was really inspired by Kevin wanting to help support his mom. And we, uh, we've got a mantra around the company now called Lucy Up. And it's, you know, when we're too focused on, you know, helping the next task or supporting the next deal or, you know, writing the next, next line of code. It's a way for all of us to sort of remind each other that we're here for a purpose and here for a reason and uh, encourage each other to loosey up. How big is this issue? Because it's interesting that that was started by the company was started by a physician based on an experience that he had helping his own mother. And so that's the mother of somebody who's working within the medical field who still fell victim to these high high prices and thank goodness she asked for help and it channeled all of these great things to happen. But how big is this issue and how many people are struggling with this? It has to be huge. We've heard from a couple of health systems, uh, fairly prestigious ones, that this is the number one requested piece of information by an ambulatory physician. If if you think about it, if how many patients would you see in a general clinic day? Is that Yeah, maybe 20 to 30 or so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So 20 or 30 patients come in, there's some unfathomable number of combinations of health plan and PBM, which represent their formularies, right? So there's, and then you sort of sprinkle in a carve out here or there for a large self-funded employer that's impossible to anticipate in that market. And it creates this impossibility of options for providers. And so the, the net result of that is they just sort of end up choosing whatever they, they decide is clinically appropriate without consideration of the formulary, which in many cases, there's, there's payer preference there that could be considered and just decide that that work needs to be done at the point of sale. Well, the consequence of that is 65 million annual callbacks to clinics to deal with reworking prescriptions and there's costs associated with that. Uh, you know, I think overall in the prescription drug world, if it's a little bit, it's a bit over a 600 billion dollar market, I believe, and represent a third of that in waste. So, um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to, to do things right the first time. And it's really not necessarily trying to change clinical behavior per se. It's, it's empowering the moment of prescribing with information that wasn't there before. Yeah. Could you break that down, Kyle? It was very interesting when we spoke earlier about exactly how this works. And I think maybe some of our users may get the general picture, but not enough of the details. So maybe you can break it down as to exactly what happens. I'm sitting at a computer about to order a medication and maybe you can take it from there. Yeah, absolutely. So a prescriber 
considering a medication will look you know, selected from a list, no matter what the EMR system is. Uh, they then place it into a pending status. Once it goes into that pending status, so think of that as a queue, and a prescriber in this case would then be a, you know, talking to the patient, ordering other things. We, um, we then evaluate that. We send it out as a real-time transaction to our network of pairs of PBMs, which now represents about 150 million insured lives. And we get a real-time response. That's then going to give us the price of that medication, any formulary restrictions that may exist, and some alternatives to consider. So that might be a different drug that's therapeutically equivalent, but more aligned with the formulary, or a different pharmacy altogether. So you know, from a PBM or payer perspective, they may want to, they may have a plan design that requires you to go to mail order. That's not something that a doctor would know otherwise. Um, so we're able to influence the moment of prescription with that new information that wasn't there before, all from the point of med being placed into a pending status and before med is signed. So, you know, the, the time between those two decisions is, is variable, but we're doing our data exchange in, you know, sub-second and able to influence that seamlessly. I think one of the things we learned and before you may appreciate is that if, if we ask prescribers to deviate from their workflow, we're gonna fall off. The engagement's gonna fall off to a point where it just isn't very valuable. So we've worked really hard with our EMR vendors to make sure that this is, this is absolutely within the e-prescribing flow and influencing uh, minimally, but only when important uh, to consider an alternative. Yeah, that's fabulous. And so what's the feedback from the providers? So you said uh, you said it's one of the number one things that's being requested by the providers and, you know, and what is it that they're appreciating about it? You know, it's, there's been a few really good uh, anecdotes. One from CT Atlanta at UC Health and, and um, it was it's simple changes that you just wouldn't anticipate until you sort of use the tool uh, with a little bit of curiosity. So, you know, for example, just a change in quantity changes hundreds of dollars in some cases um, in, in price. Uh, some other sort of convenience related things, but also pretty important from a patient experience perspective is that um, if you go look at the prevalence of prior authorization, that uh, quantity related PAs are a huge um, amount, a huge percentage. And a lot of those are just a mistake on the keyboard, right? Prescribing a 32-day supply instead of a 30-day supply, or in the case of antibiotics, maybe you're prescribing a 12-day supply instead of an eight-day supply, and, and those are things that can be uh, can can be revealed through this technology uh, in a way that it couldn't before. It's funny because that's such a tactical thing that it's just like, duh, you know, you need that information and it makes such a difference. It saves so much time. I personally just sat in the line at a pharmacy three separate times for a prescription just this week. And I, it was probably like 45 minutes of my day. And it was all over the dosage. Uh, when I called in the prescription, when I gave it to the pharmacy the first time and followed up with the pharmacy, I kept saying, I need this to be a 30-day supply. Insurance will not approve a 90-day supply. And sure as heck, they prescribed a 90-day supply. So they were like, it's $28. And I was like, no, <laughs> I need the 30-day supply. And then they were like, well, would you still like the 90-day supply? No, I want the 30-day. And they adjusted it and then it was $0. But I mean, that's something that if you didn't know or haven't experienced that, that you really just don't know that there's an alternative and so having tools like this that can tell providers that and save that time is so incredibly important to real life situations. 
Yeah, and, and you know, Stephanie, you're you're somebody that knows this industry particularly well and can advocate for yourself. Think about how many folks just walk away when they meet that little bit of resistance, right? So we're not even we are talking about sort of a, a way to drive more convenient and better patient experience, but it's ultimately this is about a patient outcome, right? Because we know that a third of patients walk away at the pharmacy counter because of cost, and we can solve a good number of those uh, ahead of time if we just connect the right data to the right decision maker. It's so amazing because it, you said it earlier, Kyle, that th th this is a multi-side uh, benefit uh, that everybody should benefit. There's so many parties to this, the PBM, the pharmacy, uh, the uh, the insurance company, the, uh, pr the provider and the patient. Uh, who do you think the greatest benefit is to ultimately? And, and is there, I mean, uh, there must be scenarios in which all are benefiting, but do you think in general that based on the tool that there is a one party that tends to benefit the most? I, I, I hope and believe that the patient is the greatest beneficiary. Because if you think about how utilization management works generally, it's rules being created on one end by risk-bearing entities and then rules being, uh, and folks making clinical decisions without awareness of those rules on the other end. And the only person left, and all of us probably had an experience like this, is the patient to be the go-between. And to just exactly like Stephanie's story that she just shared, it's, you go back to the doc, you go to the pharmacy, you call your payer, and you just have to figure it out. So as an industry, we've said, well, why don't we just let the patient figure this out? Because we can't get these all these constituencies to connect. And so ultimately, we're connecting a, a bunch of different stakeholders that have an aligned interest. And, and they not, aren't always an aligned interest, and that's true. But um, at the end of the day, this is a much better patient experience because they've been the ones that are the uh, facing the consequences of a disconnected system today. And I, and I hope they're the ones that, that are experiencing the benefits from our software. It's certainly a higher mission too, because there are so many, you know, some people, like you said, say, oh, well, the patient can handle it. Yeah, some patients can, and some people walk away and don't get the care that they need. And then their problem escalates and then they end up in the emergency room or sometimes not going to the emergency room and not living. So it's such uh, an important mission to be doing this and focusing on another way to do this because not all patients have the ability to do it or maybe even the technical expertise to go through all of this. And so you were saying that CMS now requires that there's a tool like this. Why is that an important move to make? Yeah, well, I would expand it even beyond this specific one. They, they have passed a real-time benefit rule as of this past January 1st that that requires that a Part D plan uh, puts forward a real-time benefit tool that's capable of doing the data exchange that we require. Uh, we and others, it's, it's not all about us. Uh, but even, you know, from a broader regulatory perspective, there's been more uh, legislation in the last nine months, maybe 12 months around price transparency and data liquidity than there has in the last three decades, right? So there's now price transparency requirements for health systems, for plans, Cures Act, which has been, I'm sure everybody's debated until they're blue in the face, but this is, you know, the opportunity for patients to advocate for themselves and get their own data. Um, and then when you really, and I guess the no surprise billing legislation is another really important one. When you when you lay all those things on top of each other, it's the, the industry is going to start looking a lot more like what real-time benefit does today. And this is going to be something that's relevant to every procedure and every service and every way we serve a patient across the board. Um, it's, there's not going to be a, a future where you don't know how much the lab or the image or the surgery cost before. I'm, I, I had a 
procedure earlier in the year, I had a surgery earlier in the year, and I'm still trying to figure out how much the thing costs. And, uh, and I think that the future we should expect as patients and consumers is where that doesn't exist anymore, where we're, we're able to work with our providers and the provider systems to understand the consequences of those things on the front end and make informed decisions. That's the type of system I'd like to help enable and be a patient in. Are there, you mentioned that there's, there's, it's now mandated, which means that there are other people like you also providing the service. So can you tell us a little bit about how you differentiate from your, your competition? Yeah, for the, the most important differentiator we have is we were incubated within the health systems and we were really closely aligned with providers and the provider experience. Um, I, th I think that the industry has uh, not benefited greatly from tools that don't think about engagement, utilization, behavior change first. Um, yeah, I think so, there's been a lot of examples of sort of payers or PBMs or providers building tools for one stakeholder without thinking about the, the network as a whole. So we come from a provider perspective. We've focused a lot on provider user experience because if it, at the end of the day, if we can't inform that moment of decision, we can't change the behavior, we aren't going to create enough value for this to be worthwhile for us and worthwhile for CMS for that matter. Uh, and that sort of manifests itself in some really technical, weedy ways right now. So, you know, for example, um, dose forms are not always simple, as, as I'm sure you know, right? If you, as you get into self-injectables and inhalers and creams, those are not pills and capsules. Well, EMRs speak one language around those and claim systems speak an entirely different language around those. So we've built an intelligence layer on top of the transaction that allows us to understand each side of that data exchange really well and drive a really high reliability because what we heard is providers in sort of the e-prescribing 1.0 world in you know the early 2000s uh, kind of started ignoring the formulary benefit data that was there because it was inconsistent it wasn't timely it was out of date and um, I, you know i think that once you find something to be incorrect often enough you just start, stop seeing it and so we realized that data quality and the reliable, high reliability of the transaction exchange was really important to user experience. Well, the, the other benefit of that ended up being that all those dose forms I just mentioned are the ones where there's really high cost medications. So if you're not doing the data exchange correctly on the front end, you're missing the opportunity to really intervene on the things that are most valuable. Uh, you know, while I, I'm sure people care about the price of amoxicillin as a patient, it's really not where the low hanging fruit is for driving lower cost solutions for, for our customers. So we spend a lot of time in that sort of, in that really detailed and really uh, weedy area of just making sure the thing works at a reliable rate. Uh, we're you know, 15 to 20% better than our competitors right now. We love to tell that to anybody that'll listen. And, and ultimately that's driving better behavior change and that's driving better value for our customers. What are some of the success stories that you might have heard? You mentioned that you're working with some really big health systems. What are some of these things that you've heard that, you know, really gets to the end user, the Lucy is out there? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, well, a few of those quantity, we have quite a few of those quantity and, and dose and day supply examples. Those are those sort of come in a few times a week uh, from one place or another. And uh, we appreciate those every time they arrive. But I think the 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 most important thing is we're I think we're seeing close to two billion dollars in, in priced uh, encounters coming through our pipes now at a at a high level. So you know that just feels like a really important big impact, and tens of millions of encounters that we're influencing on a 
on an annual basis. I think we're a little over, we're almost 5 million transactions a month at this point. So, you know, that's, that's what we like to point to is this is happening at scale. I think there's, there's a lot of examples of really important things happening at small scale in healthcare, and we're able to take this one and, and do it pretty broadly, which is something we're pretty proud of. When you're talking about that, you're you're talking about the impact to individuals. And I always like to think of like the collective impact. You've got 5 million transactions now per month. I'd love to know what is, after four years of doing this now, uh, what is the overall impact that you think that uh, Rx Review has had? Are you able to quantify it in terms of dollars saved or any way to measure customer experience improved? Uh, what, what What is the metric that you look at? Uh, we think a lot about behavior change. So we've, we've done some side-by-side comparison with competitors uh, in partnership with a PBM customer who I'll, you know, leave unnamed to protect the innocent. And um, we were seeing six times the behavior change of, of that competitor in that comparison. So we're really proud of that because if, if you think about the behavior change metric and the scale of our transactions, that's a lot of value. Um, so we're really proud of that. And then the other thing I think that's uh, encouraging signs is that our customers are now asking us to do things beyond pharmacy. We're starting to do medical benefit data exchanges around labs and radiology and other things and mm. uh, starting to do care quality type transactions around gaps in care and, and those types of things. And uh, I, I think that's important in two ways. One, it's uh, we are adding value to our customer base and that's exciting to us that they want to continue to grow and then even draw us uh, into this work that's that's really important and uh, the other one is that we're we're now going to start to create that future we were talking about right like we're we can be that essential platform that then starts to do the data exchange beyond pharmacy and the, the world can start to look more like real-time benefit check but for for other things so I'm sorry, I'll just, I'll just have to jump in, Steph, with another follow-on question. Kyle, you mentioned behavior change, but I think I understand what that is. But can you clarify that? Are you saying that six times more likely for the provider to have changed what they were going to order? Is that what you mean? That's right. Either selected a different pharmacy or a different drug right. uh, once our data uh, was injected into the workflow. Got it. Thank you. Sure. And my final question is similar, but a little bit different. You have a tremendous amount of data that you've had in your system since 2013. What are some of those things that really stand out to you that you, if you never looked at this data, would have had no idea that just blew your mind to learn about? Oh, geez. Um, It's a great question. Um, I think the variability in a few really narrow categories is really surprising to folks that the best example I can think of is there are, uh, I'm gonna get some of these details wrong because I'm, I'm not a pharmacist. I don't even play one on television, but um, the, the time release version of metformin in some cases is you know hundreds and hundreds of dollars or more than just a metformin, which is a really common $4 drug in most cases. That was a good example. And then there's a ton of variability in insulin. Um, those are some of the sort of, specific examples that when you look at the data and you go, how did anybody ever figure this out without actually pricing all of these options and understanding them or working really closely with PBMs to reveal these things to prescribers? Um, those, so there's a, there's a handful of those, but those are the two that pop out at me the most. And commonly used ones at that. You know, it's not like random, rarely used ones. Exactly right. That there's a, you know, it's, it, it's not that these are, factors or malicious intent things right it's just 
you know, one entity is trying to control their cost of goods by making really specific choices and they're not making the other entity aware of it. And so all we're trying to do is connect those two stakeholders with technology, which is um, possible at scale now, which and it wasn't even even six years ago. So it's nice to nice to see the industry evolving. Thank you so much for being here and sharing all about the work that RX Review is doing. It's really important. Appreciate the time. Glad to be here. Very much enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thank you all for watching. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.